This is the MDT Podcast. A podcast for all healthcare professionals working with older adults. We are a multidisciplinary team educating about ageing. MDT. The MDT is brought to you by the Hearing Aid Podcast team. We focus on a different topic each week to work with you to enhance your knowledge to help you look after older people. Welcome to the MDT. I'm Ian Wilkinson. And I'm a geriatrician down in Surrey, and this is the third of our series on well-being and kindness. And I have Joe in the studio with me today. Hi. Back at old times, just Joe and I. <laughs> Hi, I'm Joe Preston. I'm a geriatrician in South London. And through this series, we've been thinking about an understanding of us interacting with an ecosystem, understanding this idea that our intentions lead on to our actions and their the foundation to that really is our values, but actually our impact might be different. And so today we are going to touch on the two questions that we set up a couple of weeks ago. So that is what shadow do we cast and what hope do we have for ourselves and our community? And we will explore those with Julian Stodd a little bit later on. Joe, what have we got first up today? So we have been going around the wards and asking the people that we work with how they wind down from their days at work. So what is it that they do to readjust, reset and shake off some of the challenges of working in healthcare for older adults right now? So I, I'm Lucy, one of the F1 doctors. I like to go running. I did the London Marathon this year. Uh, I like to have a bit of a goal. It was really tough as well because it was my first job as a doctor. So I was having to fit in 80 mile runs around that. But it's fine. So I'm Laura, I'm a physician associate. I like to cycle home from work, which helps clear my head at the end of the day. Um, and then when I get home, it's lots of mum stuff, really. Dinner, getting prepared for the next day, so it's, the next morning's not so manic. Yeah, that's pretty much it for me. The MDT Podcast. But first... But first, social media. <laughs> so I have a social media thing this week uh, because the week that we're recording this was there were a, a lot of social media was focused on delirium because it was World Delirium Awareness Day. And it made me go back through some of the, the, the bits I knew about delirium and some of the resources that I knew. And I came across or re-came across some work that Sathana Krishan uh, has done, who's an old age psychiatrist up in Durham. And his Twitter handle is at Delirium Kish. And this is a video entitled I Can Prevent Delirium. And it's a really good, short introduction about delirium and why it's important. And so I uh, really recommend you going and watching this. Uh, and I'll put a link to the tweet uh, on the website for this episode. So last week's challenge is actually related to this week's topic, which is um, exploring humility with Julian Stodd. So we're going to bring him into the virtual studio now. Julian, welcome, first of all. Thank you. Good to be back. And this week we are doing sort of the first part of the, the quiet leadership discussions. And we are thinking about the topic of humility. And you posed a couple of questions for us and the audience to, to think about over the last couple of weeks. And should we just do a quick reminder of what those questions are? Yes. So we talked about this idea, the organisationless ecosystem is, is our interconnection, the way that we are dependent on each other. But it's a landscape. And so my first question related to that is the, the sun beats down upon us, we cast a shadow. And so I asked you, my first question was, what shadow do you cast? And that's really thinking about how 
you know, we take action in the light, but part of our impact is is felt in the shadow. The second question, that might sound a bit bleak. So my second question had more sunlight in it, um, which was to say, what is your hope? And that was your hope for yourself or for the system around you. So I'm intrigued to know where you got to with those questions. Mm, yeah. So so the, the shadow thing, I've, I've, I've thought about this lots uh, and lots of different things have, have come up when I thought about it. I think that the first thing that strikes me is this reminds me of something I've come across before about the Jahari window, about you, you're not necessarily, you're kind of blind to the way that other people see you because you're not in their shoes. And therefore, my shadow is is sort of the impact that I might have um, on others, whether or not it's could be negative, could be positive, you know, but, but the unintended consequence, I guess. And then the other way that I took this was, you know, when I am, for example, on my ward, when I'm on the ward, I'm relatively visible, you know, I'm there and, and you know, people generally do the things that I say to them. And care and, and and care for people in the way that I would want them cared for because I'm actually there. But then the other bit when I think about my shadow is well, what happens when I'm not there? That sort of lingering presence. And 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 I thought about that as well. And, and maybe that's part of my shadow is that you know when I go away, there's this sort of lingering. You know, well, Ian would want it done this way, therefore we're more likely to do it this way, perhaps than if you know if he hadn't been around ten minutes ago. You know, that that the sort of a starter, I guess that's that's where I got to. I think that's interesting because you, what you're talking about is something that we look at in in social leadership more broadly when we think about reputation, where we see that the reputation is is something that you carry. It's a, it's a, a story that is in the backpack on your back, but it's also strangely a story that precedes you and lingers after you, and it impacts on others in those ways. Exactly as you said, you know, when you are there, you you impact on the behavior of others but when you're not there you kind of do as well uh you 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 persist in that space and this idea that your story your reputation is not you it is about you and so it's subject to interpretation in all sorts of different ways so people can kind of um act in their understanding of what you would want or think or feel but it's not like you are actually there to to inhabit that story. So reputation is, is, is a story that you are part of. You know, when you are mm. in dialogue with somebody, then, then they may pay you a compliment, they may talk about you, you may be in the room, you can be in that story. But it also precedes you into spaces. It's there before you arrive mm. and it stays there after you've gone. So it's also a story that is told about you or even a judgment upon you. Mm. So you know, reputation is not sort of one thing. It's quite, it's quite fluid. So our, our shadow may be different. You know, Ian was describing when he has left the room. Uh, so it's again, it's a sort of weird thing that you could, you cast a shadow when you're in the room, but when you've left the room, your shadow may remain mm. behind, you know, and it yeah. still acts upon others or we act in a certain way because of that. Yeah. I did like a team building um, thing organized by one of my community colleagues a few years ago now. And um, it was like a, a self-awareness kind of personality type thing to kind of help everyone to understand how each other works. And it was really good. And I was invited quite last minute or I didn't know I was going until last minute, which whichever way you look at it, because I'm terrible at time planning generally, as Ian will attest. I arrived and the woman said, oh, you haven't had your 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 form to fill in beforehand. Oh, well, I'll give it to you. But I, I know we haven't met, but I've heard about you and I know that you're a leak. 
And I was like, oh, cool. That's interesting. Like, you know, I, I see myself as a leak and the leaks are the legs and they're the people that take something, they do it. Um, but actually when I did my thing, I wasn't at all. I was um, half a carrot and half a tomato. That doesn't mean anything to anyone, but it means the carrots are very creative, broad thinkers, big ideas, lots of energy. And the tomato people are the kind of okay, where's the data? Where is this? And that kind of thing. So it's actually quite interesting that I probably would have perceived myself as the leak. Other people were perceiving me as the leak, but actually I'm not. I'm someone with a kind of the starter and the let's build this. And what I learned from that is I need someone to help move things forwards, which I think is actually quite a lot of how Ian and me work together is um, that he's like, yeah, that's nice, Joe. Let's, uh, we're going to get this done. And we, we've kind of talked about this before, haven't we? Like this podcast works because we bring those strengths to each other um, and sort of balance off that. And so it keeps the, the momentum and the motion keeps going. It's not exactly what we're talking about here, but it's, it's, um, it's interesting to learn that about yourself really, isn't it? And how other people are perceiving you may not be that narrative that you have for yourself. Yeah, one thing which is interesting, and in fact, we'll we'll come onto this in our next session when we talk about uh, kindness more, is uh, that people can perceive you to be something that you are not, and yet find value in it. You know, we can almost be a tool for others. So, uh, the the value that we in, in in the kindness work we sort of consider is it possible to be kind even if you didn't intend to be. So, does intent matter? So if I turn up in the room and I have a positive impact, even though I didn't sort of specifically set out to have a positive impact, can I still claim the credit? And, you know, that's sort of interesting. You could you could have an intention but not have the impact, or you could have the impact without having the intention. So, you know, what matters? Can you take the credit for the thing if you didn't intend for it to, to happen? When we think about humility, though, what, what what's interesting is that in the research behind this work, people describe it... Uh, it's very important. They, they think that leaders who have a certain humility um, are better leaders, but they describe a very active process. You know, they, they say a, a humble leader isn't one who just sits in a room uh, stroking their beard and thinking about life. Um, I realize that was a terribly gendered description of humility because you wouldn't uh, do that. So sitting in a room with a cup of tea, thinking about life, it is somebody who steps out and asks others, you know, how do I land? What is your experience of me? And that I find interesting. It's described as an active process, which is sort of encouraging. It implies that we could learn it. I was reminded um, recently of this when we, we, we have a, a, well, not quite so new baby now, but we when, uh, 18 months ago when we were sort of in the, in the clasps, the arms, the embrace of, of the maternity department, we had a whole series of uh, consultant-led appointments at a time when we were off balance and nervous and scared. And I, I remember in one of those, a series of those consultations, actually, that we had the students, uh, radiographers in there. And the consultant always introduced them as the student. They said, the student will do this now. The student will do that now. And I had no idea who the student was. You know, I was never introduced to the student and what I found interesting about it was that it sort of imposed something upon upon the student. You know, they, they were encased within this uh, description, this story, um, which in some ways took away their power, you could argue. It sort of contextualized them without them having any, any say in it. Um, it was a very sort of structural approach, but it spoke to me about how 
how we use language and and almost actually how we see others yeah I, I think that's really interesting and I think that plays into um, I know before you've talked about the idea of actions reflecting values and uh, impact perhaps perhaps being different to intention and I'm sure uh, well I hope that the intention was to sort of empower the student by going you know they are going to do this you know present um you know jim or jane or whatever um but actually the impact upon that uh, the impact upon you guys was was different perhaps to what the intention was Mm. it's quite interesting i'm doing some um i did some student reflective practice stuff with the the medical students at st george's recently and um they have like four topics that they have to sort of bring a case and an example and in a lot of them, it came up with these are things that we could do, like we can help the system with this. We could be doing more of this on the wall. We could be more helpful in this way. And it was really interesting to kind of hear those those things coming from them, not around their learning, really saying this is how actually we could really uniquely help the team in our roles. And that was really nice to hear and actually really interesting because I had assumed that they're all sort of a they're there slightly under duress going, oh, God, I just want to get my thing signed off, you know, um, which obviously that's not true. But it was it was actually really refreshing to hear that and to think, how are we underusing and underserving by potentially labelling people in, in that way or just having that presumption about their role? Um which is, I guess, links back to a lot of what we're trying to talk about in in this with the quiet leadership is that it isn't just sort of formal leaders, it's everybody's approach and interactions day to day, regardless of your role around that. Um, it, it also reminds me of um, Also Human by Caroline Eltham that I think we've talked about before on the podcast somewhere. Um, and she's an psycho- educational psychologist who wrote this book about medical training um, I think it should be compulsory reading for anyone even contemplating medical school. It's incredible. But she talks a lot about the othering and the language that we use to other people to distance ourselves from the emotions and the feelings of doing actually quite an emotionally challenging job um, and that that isn't recognised. So calling people the patient, you know, the student creates a distance um, that makes it more comfortable to do things, um, which I think is quite we do that all the time. I don't think we all realise why or how we might be doing it. It's interesting. The the you know at, at its heart, the, the work on quiet leadership is very small scale. You know, mm-hmm. it's not grand. It's not dramatic. It's about you and me. It's about the self within the system. So it's about how do we impact on others, and we inhabit these different systems of structure and power. So. Through our language, through our behavior, through our actions, we weave a web around ourselves that we then have to inhabit and operate within. The point of thinking about humility is a willingness to look not at the system, but to start by looking at the self. It really takes a premise that we're all, you know, on the whole, good people doing good things. You know, very few people get up in the morning and set out to make life worse for other people. However, you know, we should be clear that at times, probably all of us through our actions make life worse for other people. So this work sort of explores why, you know, how is it that that organizations or individuals, in fact, generally have little difficulty in saying, these are the good people, these are the bad people. These are the, you know, these are on my team, these are not on my team. So, We try to look at this through the lens that most of us are well-intentioned, but somehow 
there are shadows in the system. And sometimes those shadows intersect. And as those shadows intersect, they eat back into systems of power. So if the shadow is cast upon you, then you can lose power, you can lose voice, you can fall silent, you can almost disappear from the system. So the point of this as a reflection is to think about self. You know, when do I cast a shadow? Not when, when do I intend to, but what might be the unintended shadow of my actions? And then, secondly, to think about that in the context of the system. How does that scale up? Are certain types of people more likely to fall into the shadow? Would I even know? And then, of course, finally, is my responsibility to lead noisily in the light or is my responsibility to lead everybody? You know, do, do I have a responsibility to reach out into the darkness, you know, to explore these areas? So if I've been on call for the weekend, I know that by probably Tuesday, Monday, I'm probably still on a bit of adrenaline. By Tuesday, I'm a bit grumpy and I'm much shorter with everybody else. Even though my intentions are exactly the same, I get much shorter and I get a bit more frustrated. Um, so a way that I started to deal with that is if I could sense myself being tempted to do that, not as a conscious choice, but you know, I think I might do this today or I'm starting to do that on a ward round would be that I would flip it to an inverse ward round and say, actually, I'm not going to be very good at leading this today. I'm still in charge. I still need to know what's going on. But actually, today is a good day for the other people in my team to maybe take some leadership and I step back and take more of an educational role and facilitate what's going on here because that's actually better for everybody than me being a bit grumpy with everybody and yeah that's that's kind of the example that comes to mind for me of of kind of recognizing where I am starting to cast that and try and step out of it I don't know if other people appreciate me doing that at all because it's more work for them but um (laughs) you know I, I like that, you know, you reminded me, I, I, I quite often, when I, when I walk into a room when I'm working with people, I quite often start by saying how I'm feeling. And I, I remember clearly uh, uh, last year uh, going into a, a session with some quite senior leads and saying, you know, introducing myself, saying I'm feeling quite grumpy, I'm feeling quite unsettled. And, 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 and the most important person in the room by rank sort of laughed and said, oh, you know, well, you know, that's really helpful to us. Thanks for sharing that. I said, well, what would you rather? You know, would you rather I just come in and say, I'm, I'm feeling great, I'm feeling positive? You know, I'm not. So it's okay to be yourself, to be open. I said, I'm still smiling. It's not that I'm not going to do the job. I've just got to tell you, I've got this stuff on my mind. You know, this is my expectation of what we're going to do. This is my anticipation. This is my fear. It, it's, it's um, you know, there is a notion that, it's almost easy to perform. It's easy to turn up and 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 project this this version of self that may be a, a picture of strength and confidence and power. But I think the reason why people value humility so quietly is because it's very human, you know, to to um, to say, well, I, I you know, I might not be sure, but I am at least trying to change. So I, I'm not in balance, but I am trying to stay within sight of. So you end up with these two lenses through which to view it. One is to understand our shadow so that we can be more mindful, so that we can be reflective. It's not a science, it's an art, you know, but we can try to understand our responsibility to everybody and so that we are conscious of that shadow. The the second thing is to understand that in some ways humility can be imposed upon people um, they can be cast into the shadow. They can be hidden. They can lose voice through no fault of their own. 
and hence our responsibility to sometimes uh, fight on behalf of others. And I guess the way in which each of us individually lead is by those interactions with the other individual and actually the we don't need to change the world we just need to influence that person that we're interacting with at that point in time and to talk about it mm-hmm. so quiet leadership i say exactly that you know you nobody alone can tend to the whole ecosystem is what i say in the book however you can have an impact on one other person's life today and if you have that impact but then you are unafraid to talk about it so if we start to weave together our individual experiences then you can build the wave that can drive change within a culture. That sounds like a good uh, segue into us moving on to talk about hope and what our what our hopes are. Um, do you want to kick off on this one, Joe? I don't know. I'm a bit nervous. It's a big question. What is my <laughs> hope? Do you know what I mean? There's so many like answers that could be quite pious. Do you know what I mean? Like, I find it quite difficult to kind of think about what I might say for this one because um within hope there's you know the things I would want people to hear and then the things that you know I I might want for myself but not necessarily want to tell other people so I found this one quite difficult to answer actually especially knowing that it was we were going to talk about it on a podcast because it came with a bit of a pressure for oh god like I have to have a good answer for this one so I'm going to defer a little bit and maybe ask you to go first and then and then mm. come in because <laughs> I yeah found it quite difficult to articulate. So I, I think yeah I sort of pose myself questions um, about is this my you know my personal hope or my hope for others or my hope for the system that I work in and I came around to an example and the example I came to was was this podcast and I thought well what is the hope of this podcast in this series and I, and I thought well. The hope is that um, for some people, maybe only one person, uh, some of the thoughts that we have about kindness will uh, and, and this leadership uh, typology will strike a chord and will allow them to make an action that will improve the little bit of the ecosystem that they work with. But actually, sort of, that's an individual thing, and then a wider thing perhaps is that the through that the basic care for some of the older people that mm-hmm. the people that listen to our podcast care for will improve just a little bit because that team is just a little bit more aware of that ecosystem that they're operating in and therefore able to influence that for the betterment of of the people that they're looking after yeah i think that that second half of that answer is probably where i'm where i was at and finding it difficult to articulate without feeling like I was preaching so you've done very well there mm. to not sound like that but good, you know good. <laughs> that we that that sums up for me it's working in teams and environments where we're able to have those conversations where you know healthcare can be quite hierarchical and it can be quite divisional as well and broken up and I guess that that was part of the aim of this podcast and what drew, drew us both to it as well was to try and start joining some of that up and making it more um everyone has a shared knowledge base and I guess this is more of a sort of shared skills I guess around this especially now that we're all recovering from the pandemic and you know tensions can be short and resources are short and um to kind of bring it back to some of those basics but rather than clinically 
you know, how do we all communicate to each other? No, I disagree with your idea without having an argument. Or um, actually, you did that and it really messes up my day when we do it like this. Can we do it in a different way? But those conversations to be open because that is what will create a happy team. And we're all in healthcare to help patients. And if we're running around being short tempered or cross or annoyed that someone was a bit weird with us earlier, then that inherently will transfer to impact how authentic our interactions are with with the person in front of us when we're being clinical I think and I guess in that also then then linking back to this topic of humility you know is mm. is that the hope is that, that at some level people will be humble um, mm. and will be able to have touch with their humility and use that to improve themselves or not not sort of so much improve themselves but be aware of, of that and therefore their impact on others i think is, is, mm. is kind of what i'm thinking i think what's interesting for me is that this idea that hope can e- exist in different ways and part of this conversation is just to get us to sort of hear that and see that in others so, so some people will just hope that they can pay the gas bill and they will hope that their voice will be heard or they will you know, simply hope that an outcome will be good. They, they will almost hope that they can have hope. You know, there's, there's sort of very elementary questions of this. Some people will have hope for themselves. I hope I can be successful. I hope I can be rich. You know, I hope I can complete this course. Uh, I, I hope that my actions will land well. Some people have hope for their system. You know, I hope we can achieve good outcomes. I hope we can look after each other. It's, it, it's, it's all these different levels. But in some ways, hope... Is a is a foundational level because then we will have our our, our our values, our intention, our aspiration can all feed out of that. But to understand that you know some people are swimming and some people are just keeping their head above water and some people are hoping they'll surface before their breath runs out. So it's it's useful to do that. This notion again that you know, humility is not just some do gooders intention to be better. Humility is a about a willingness to be human. You know, you're going to be human whether you like it or not. So how how transparently will you be human, you know, in our successes and in our failures, in our strength and in our weakness? This work is highly imperfect. It's fragile work is how I describe it. There is no answer. There's no book that can give you an answer. There's no genius that can give you an answer. There's no technology that can make you humble or give you an answer. And yet our systems will likely be better if people are willing to listen as well as to speak, if they are willing to look at themselves as well as others, and to consider that you know the world is really not black and white and us and them, that there is a, a lot of nuance. And often the intersection between the people we trust, the people we don't, our communities and the people who aren't in it, between self and other, is the place to, to try to affect change, to make connections. So yeah, so so I think that's been really interesting. Um, so I'd encourage you just to to think back on those two questions. So what is your shadow, and what is your hope? And yeah, let us know your thoughts. Uh, use Twitter, use the hashtag MDT Club, or write to us at MDT underscore podcast, and let's let's start a little bit of a conversation about this. And you're back with us again soon, aren't you, Julian? What are we going to be discussing next time? We will be talking about kindness, the um, second part of our journey into quiet leadership, we'll consider Mm. kindness. Thank you, Julian. The MDT Podcast. 
I thought that was really interesting, Joe. I, yes, I think the I those discussions, you know, and, and there's no right or wrong here. So the discussion we've had, you know, if we had it on a different day and we were both in a slightly different yeah. mood, we might have had quite a different discussion. And and so that there's you know it, it goes where it goes it's quite nice yeah. to have the space to think about those things because it's it's underneath for all of us isn't it you know we don't do healthcare for the the kudos a lot it's so it's it's nice to have that space and time because that feels short sometimes so that was i enjoyed that for that yeah that no, um, was good so moving on to the second part of this episode we're going to be learning a bit more about something called asmr no, I've not come across this no, before. But sort of maybe on the edge of my sphere of yeah. consciousness, but but nothing in detail. Yes. And so we're now going to hear from an interview with Christina, our teaching fellow, with Dr. Julia Perlow, who's a psychologist from the University of Sheffield. Hello, everybody. Uh, today we have a wonderful guest with us, someone that I've been doing a whole lot of reading on. Her name is Julia, and she's in the studio with us today, and she's going to tell us a little bit about. ASMR. Julia, what is ASMR? <laughs> oh, it's a really good question. Thank, thanks for having me on. Um, so ASMR uh, stands for Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. Um, and the term itself is a pseudoscientific one. So it doesn't really have any scientific meaning. Um, but it has been used to refer to a specific kind of feeling that some people uh, report experiencing from a very early age. So I'll describe um, what people tell us the feeling is like um, uh, in case any of your kind of listeners think that they might um, also experience it. So the feeling itself of ASMR is described as a tingling sensation that starts at the back of the head and the scalp and then spreads throughout the rest of the body. It's a little bit like having a, a head massage. It's a very pleasant, warm kind of tingling sensation. Now, this specific kind of tingling, relaxing um, ASMR sensation is um, often triggered or elicited by um, things in the environment um, that people commonly refer to as ASMR triggers. So examples of typical ASMR triggers would be things like having your hair played with or brushed. So people often report that they get ASMR when they get a haircut example. Um, other things will include sa soft sounds, so things like whispering, soft speaking, tapping, um, also visual um, movements, so watching somebody do something in a very uh, careful or delicate way, like folding towels might be uh, uh, something. Um, and these are things that people often say that they've experienced from you know very early age that they've experienced these sensations and and now of course we have asmr on youtube and um, which allows people to watch this content on demand as it were um, and kind of experience these sensations um and you can also watch asmr videos without experiencing that kind of asmr tingling sensation you might also find them relaxing but that's typically what people tell us that asmr feels like for them so my question to you is, um, obviously, you know that our podcast is about wellness and kindness and how we as healthcare workers um, need to find routes and avenues to look after ourselves and look after each other and care for each other. Um, and what I liked about what you what you wrote and what you stand for is that this is a wonderful new avenue and a wonderful new skill that we could use to try and learn a coping skill. So what I wanted to know is, have you found that it is a it is a way that or it is something that we could implement in our day to day life? Yeah, I mean it's a really good question, and it's something that I get asked about um, often. And I think that 
you know, at least anecdotally, people are already using ASMR content to help with things like relaxation and sleep and reduce stress and, and maybe be more mindful of j- just as a way to relax in the same way that lots of people use um, music to regulate their emotions and mood. People also turn to um, ASMR on, on YouTube. So it is something that Yes, people are already doing. Um, having said that, if you are not familiar with ASMR and you kind of just, you know, YouTube search it, you might be a bit shocked at some of the content that comes out uh, out there. Um, but, you know, do give it a go. And even if you don't experience this kind of tingling sensation, you may find something that is um, kind of relaxing and, and something that you can tap into to, to evoke a kind of nice sense of calm. And um, one thing that I would say as well, which I think is a really nice kind of parallel between ASMR and the goals of, of your podcast is this idea of kind of caring and kindness and that is something that you often see as an ASMR trigger um, and something when you do if you look at YouTube you see often people providing kind of care and compassion and being very kind of comforting so that is also something so close personal attention as it's often referred to is something that is considered to be an ASMR um, trigger so that sense of feeling cared for um, on YouTube uh, maybe it yeah. is something that you can tap into with with ASMR some people find it creepy um, which of course yeah. is also another reaction um, to ASMR content um, which some yeah. people may have so it's not a cure-all but it is definitely something that you can tap into um, if you so choose. I like the idea of listening to the sound of like coloring in like some people find that quite therapeutic or certain sensations and I, and I would imagine when little ones have a, a bunny or or a certain cloth that they hold onto that 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 kind of like triggers that same kind of like relaxing tingling sensation that you describe as a soothing process and maybe what we would need to do is find things in our lives that help soothe us and that's why I liked your concept what I wanted to know is Using YouTube and obviously following your podcast, your following you on YouTube and and following what you do, um, is a way of us being able to to do ASMR. Are there any other ways that we could do it? I mean, are there any other portals that we could use? Yeah, so I mean, people who who report experiencing ASMR, um, you know, in general, so who have this kind of this capability of experiencing this tingling sensation, will also experience ASMR in daily life. So. It's something that people experienced before YouTube was even a, a, a thing. So it is certainly something that people can and do seek out in their everyday experiences or it just happens to them. So people will often say things like, um, you know, if they go and get a massage, that will be something that induces um, ASMR. Or if they get somebody to play with their hair or kind of trace on their back and all of those kinds of sensations. So you can and you can also start to notice it more in your everyday life so you can you know pay attention maybe you're in a in an environment that's very quiet and you know you've got the kind of rustling of people and that might be annoying maybe try and think of tapping into it as a kind of a a relaxation a soothing repetitive sound um I, i don't think it is possible to experience asmr that tingling sensation if you aren't somebody who is has experienced it for, for a long time. Other people might disagree with me, but you can certainly tap into ASMR aspects in, in everyday life, even if you don't experience it. And I guess some people might call that kind of sensory mindfulness. So being aware of, of what's coming yes. in through your senses. And I like that. I like that you're bringing in mindfulness. And I also like that you're bringing in touch because I think what through COVID, um, we've stopped touching. I think as, as doctors and as healthcare workers and everyone, we've been so scared because of, uh, 
we've kind of like lost touch and we've become more mm. and more technically and technologically barriered, if you can put it that way. And so I do think it is important. And especially in elder care and, and with the elderly, they, they do miss that touch. So I, I did read your article that you've published and I think it's, I think it's a phenomenal article. And if anybody wants to read it, it's called More Than a Feeling, Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response ASMR is Characterized by Reliable Changes in Affect and Physiology. Did you want to tell us a little bit about your article? Yeah, so this one, this was the first one that we published on ASMR. It, it got published in, in 2018, so a few years ago now, even though we did the research sort of 2014. Um, and really, at, you know, at that time, there hadn't been anything published really on ASMR. So there was all this, you know, stuff on YouTube and, and people who experience it know that it's a sensation that they experience, you know, but there ha just hadn't really been any research on it. And one thing that kind of was was quite evident when we first started researching it was that people just didn't believe that it was a genuine experience. So uh, especially if it's not something that you experience and you say, oh, yeah, people get this kind of really pleasant tingling response when you they hear people whisper. They think, oh, my gosh, what is that? That can't be real. So really, the motivation for, for that piece of research was to say, well, OK, um, people are telling us that this is a thing for them. But actually, what does, you know, can we actually test that on a more scientific level? And can we see whether it is associated with changes in bodily responses as well as just subjective, you know, self-reports? And, and that, that's what we did. So we, what we did is we brought people into the lab, people who said that they were capable of experiencing ASMR and people who weren't. And then we um, looked at um, aspects of their physiology. So what was going on with their heart rate and then also their skin conductance response, which is a me measure of the sweating of the skin. And we looked at the physiological patterns that kind of underlie the ASMR response, if you will. And, and what we found was a really interesting uh, pattern of results where um, for those people who experience ASMR, when they watch ASMR content in the lab, at least, they show reductions in their heart rate, but also increases in their skin conductance level. You know, people who don't get ASMR also show reductions in heart rate, but they just aren't as pronounced. So that suggests to us as well that if you aren't somebody that's capable of ASMR, ASMR videos might still make you feel relaxed and that it might reduce your heart rate, but probably not to the same extent it would as if you did experience those tingling mm -hmm. sensations. We've got, you know, some good evidence that people are just, you know, what people are telling us is also reflected in their physiology, which is always useful. Yes, very much, because I'm very much, and everyone teases me about this on the part, I always want the evidence. <laughs> me too. So I, I, that's why I liked your article. Um, is there anything else you want to share with us today? It's been so lovely chatting to you. No, I mean, I, I just, I think I would really kind of encourage people to have an open mind about ASMR and, and think of it in, in terms of, you know, what could it do for you? Um, but also just to think about it within the broader framework of things like, you know, watching oddly satisfying uh, content or anything that's relaxing and repetitive. So things like sand cutting videos and all of these kinds of things, we all need escape um, from, from, from what's going on around us. And, and YouTube offers a, an amazing variety of, of things, whether or not you're capable of experiencing ASMR. So strongly encourage people to go and check it out if they haven't heard of it. Thank you. Thank you very, very much for joining us today. You're welcome. And if anybody wants to follow Julia, she's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> That's so nice of you. Thank you. I liked that. I think I've got a better understanding of what <laughs> ASMR is now and the 
the situations that we could use that for, you know, and that sort of tingly feeling like someone's whispering behind your ear. I thought that sort of resonated with me. I think that's what's been quite cool about doing this series is it is quite different, isn't it? It's quite nice to sort of, as you say, explore those things along the edges of hmm. of what we would normally be looking at and talking about. Yeah. That's cool. And I think also, you know, raise these things with your team, you know, because not everyone in your team, I know, but some people don't, don't listen to this podcast. And so, you know, you could bring these things in and and have a chat about them, play the bits of the podcast to to your team. Yeah, absolutely. But next, we're going to go back to a thing that we have running through this whole series, which is around thinking about how we can support ourselves by learning some tools around breathing with Jess. Um, and we have uh, got some feedback from the last one that we were doing from our faculty. That last one was the first of the whiskey breathing, uh, the wind down breathing. So it, it was a bit tricky for some of us, but especially the length of the, the exhalation. Mm. There. So let's hear from some of the rest of the faculty now. Hi, everyone. I enjoyed this exercise. It was quite hard to start with. I found, uh, like others, the breathing out for eight to be quite difficult and very often ran out of breath but I think the longer you went on over the sort of time that you were practicing both sort of in the moment and over the week that did get slightly easier as you learned to sort of I suppose breathe out slightly less uh, quickly as you were breathing out for eight. Um, I did find it relaxing um, and I enjoyed the fact that it was uh, I did it at the end of the day uh, as I was sort of in bed drof- drifting off to sleep. So I found that really peaceful way to end the day. My thoughts on the breathing practice this week are that although at the start of the week, I think I found it harder than I found last week's exercise because breathing out for that longer period of time took a bit more practice. I actually found that I was probably feeling better than I did last week or noticing the effects more and actually I found it really relaxing. Hi everyone, hope people had a good week. I also found this one a bit harder, I just didn't seem to be able to breathe out for eight and as such found it a bit harder to commit to this one. I did try and do it before going to bed because I did think it was easier to do it then when I was kind of more relaxed and I found I could reach occasionally reach eight but I was generally more around the five and a half to six Yeah, that's my thoughts on this one. And then this week, we have another exercise for you, which you can do. Hopefully, you'll do it sort of daily and try and find which of these work for you the best, um, how they serve you. Uh, We're really interested to hear how you get on. Uh, So Mm. here is this This one's got a really cool name. This is called Breath of Fire. (laughs) (laughs) So be ready. Be ready. Yes, absolutely. Have a glass of water. The MDT Podcast. Hello and welcome back to week three of the MDT Breathing Challenge. So breath is one of the most powerful ways that we can control our minds and rebalance the nervous system. When you learn to control your breathing, you control how you feel and you can change your life. This week we'll be doing our first coffee breathing exercise, Breath of Fire. This is a fast breath, about 30 breaths per minute, which is going to really stimulate your fight-flight sympathetic nervous system, the system responsible for your get-up-and-go. We have the power to manually shift our nervous system between fight-flight and rest-restore. Much like cold water swimming, when we shift our bodies into fight-flight on purpose and under control, we tone the nervous system, we improve heart rate variability, and we build resilience. Use this first thing in the morning as a great way to kickstart your day, 
or as a replacement for your afternoon coffee break. Now, as this is a vigorous and stimulating practice, there are a few contraindications to watch out for. Clinical anxiety, high blood pressure, pregnancy, epilepsy, hypertension, panic disorders or PTSD. So if that's you, give this one a miss and just focus on one of the other exercises that are more balancing or downregulating. You can sit on the floor or in a chair for this, whichever is comfortable for you. Just sit up tall, relaxed enough so that your belly is soft. To do this, we're going to do a sharp exhale out the nose. Engage the muscles of your lower abdomen to force the breath out, almost like a sneeze. Focus only on the out breath and then just allow the in-breath to happen all by itself. It sounds like this. You can imagine that you're being hit in the stomach by a football, and it's pushing the air out. Now normally, our diaphragm contracts down when we breathe in, and relaxes up on the exhale. But here, we're forcing the diaphragm to push up on the exhale. So this is an opposite way of breathing, which makes it invigorating and heat-generating. And it's quite normal for you to feel some dizziness and maybe some muscle soreness on your belly, but don't worry. Like I say, just focus on the out breath only, making the exhale as sharp and as strong as you can, allowing the inhale to happen all by itself. You could also do this with your arms up in the air, which helps to drain the lymph system. We're going to do 20 rounds and we'll repeat that three times with a pause in between. Something important to clarify at this point is what you're not doing. You're not taking one breath and then trying to do all of the 20 exhales from that one breath. What you are doing is you're forcing an exhale 20 times and each time you allow the breath to come back in naturally 20 times. So it's 20 forced exhales out the nose and 20 passive inhales through the nose. But don't worry, I'll keep count. You just breathe. So eyes closed, chin parallel to the floor. And remember, it's a short, sharp Exhale out of the nose. So we'll begin in three, two, one. Exhale, 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 exhale. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. And just relax and breathe normally. Body is relaxed, your eyes stay closed. Your chin is parallel to the floor, shoulders are relaxed chest is relaxed and just remember to soften your lower abdomen it's a pulse of tension a sharp exhale use the belly to push the air out and then just relax and allow the inhale to happen naturally so let's practice that again three two one exhale 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 ten nine eight seven six five four three two one and just relax and breathe normally body is relaxed eyes are closed keeping your chin parallel to the floor shoulders relaxed and remembering that all of the movement is really originating from your lower abdomen so let's practice one more round together beginning in three two one exhale 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 ten nine eight seven six five four three two one breath is normal body is relaxed you can keep your eyes closed and just take a moment to notice the effects of that practice on you just noticing how your body feels so coffee breathing is when you're breathing more than twice your normal rate so it's at least 30 breaths per minute or more 
And as we said, this really stimulates your fight-flight response, and that's why it's really energizing. It's a simple practice that can be incorporated into your morning, so as soon as you get up, maybe sit on the edge of your bed or even on the edge of your bath and do three rounds of 20. Or you could repeat this and use this as your afternoon pick-me-up instead of a cup of coffee. So thanks so much for joining me. Keep going, and we'll catch up on the next one. This is Jess from Be Here Well. And if you want to know more about Jess and more about these breathing techniques and get a bit more information on it, if you head on down to our website, which is www.hearingapodcast.org.uk, then fill out a little form and we'll send you a link uh, to a page on the website that's got loads of uh, information about the breathing techniques, some sort of questionnaires and logbooks that you can do, but but also some information about Jess and, and what she does. So next week, we're going to be discussing yoga. That's going to be our focus. We're talking to a colleague of Ian's in East Surrey, who's a psychiatrist who has become very involved and interested in yoga over the years. And uh, not just as a kind of, ah, isn't yoga nice to be doing some stretches and sort of some time out, Um, really digging into how yoga can be really very helpful in integrating the body and the mind together so that we can be more aware of what's happening for us at the time and to help us manage it. So let us know. We're on Twitter at MDT underscore podcast. We are on Facebook dot com forward slash mdd podcast we are on instagram at mdt podcast and we've also got our website which is www.hearingapodcast.org.uk so yeah let us know your thoughts use the hashtag mdt club in all of those various different places and this is the third episode on wellbeing the mdt will reconvene next week the mdt podcast <laughs>